So we began a series called Essential Faith uh, just last week. So if you weren't able to be with us, we'll give you a, a quick summary of what we covered last week. We're on this pilgrimage or journey to learn about faith. And so today's topic is faith defined. Last week we talked about faith's foundation, faith defined. So start with the question, what is faith? Uh, it's a critical ingredient of any relationship, but certainly in our relationship with God. Um, you can't have a relationship with a person that you can't trust. And we asked the question, how does our faith impact God or affect God? Can we get God to do something by having faith or more faith or, or not? <clears throat> As I said last week, we talked about what is the foundation of faith, and we talk a lot about something called circumstantial faith, meaning that often, unfortunately, we have a circumstantial component to our faith. <clears throat> we look at circumstances, and it's not always bad. We look at circumstances and we say, God was present here. This is why we had this result, and God gets the praise. That's a good thing. But when we look at circumstances and try to determine what God is like, or if He likes me or not, or if he, even if there is a God, uh, kind of an emotional thing. It's a roller coaster and goes up and down with, with our circumstances. And life is chaotic, so our faith tends to be chaotic at times. In fact, I'm reading through the Old Testament like I do every year, and I came across this king. His name was Ahaz. And he goes out to battle against his enemy, and he prays to God, Yahweh, uh, the Jewish God, and they lose the battle. <laughs> They're defeated. So you know what he does? He starts worshiping the gods of the enemy that defeated him. So that was circumstantial faith. Not good in this case, obviously. <clears throat> and what the bottom line is with circumstantial faith is this. This is really important. Circumstantial faith is me-centered. I am determining what God is like or if there's a God. I'm making that decision. It's about me and how I see things and how I understand things. True faith is what? It's not me-centered, it's God-centered, obviously. So, we are obviously talking about Christian faith, but this is true of any faith. And if you're not a Jesus follower at this point, we're glad that you're watching or are here with us. So, we, we decided last week that the foundation of our faith is not circumstances. It's not if we get our prayers answered. It is a person. It is a historical event. It is Jesus. That this man Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, virgin birth, lived a perfect life, suffered horribly, died unjustly, three days later rose from the grave, conquered death, and 40 days later ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. That's an historical event. It happened. That is the foundation of our faith. Now, I asked some of you to give me your definitions. I appreciate the ones I got. Um, the interesting thing is if I was to pass out three-by-five cards and have you all fill them out, all the definitions would be different. In fact, I got eight or ten uh, this week, and every one was different. Now, components were similar, and they were all great. I, I knew you guys were smart, and you gave me really good definitions. Um, but we're going to kind of work on this today together. I've got something I've put together, and we can even tweak it in the coming weeks. Um, so, 
Before we get to the definition of faith, I want to talk to you a few minutes about things that faith are not because there's a lot of confusion about this issue of faith. So, three things biblical faith is not. First one is this, a power or a force. I blame Star Wars on this one. <laughs> I love Star Wars, but uh, this idea that there's this inanimate force out there that I can tap into and then get events or turn out like I want. And so, if we're not careful, we approach faith or God that way. <clears throat> There's this force. I use this illustration. <clears throat> uh, faith is like a lasso that I can take and I throw it around God's neck, <laughs> around God's waist, and then I can get Him to go or do or move any place I want Him to. Now, we need to be honest here. All of us need to admit the fact that we would like a God we can control. We can get a God to do, get God to do what we want Him to do, to answer this prayer, make this happen, or stop this from happening, whether it's politically, economically, health-wise, whatever. That's a component of all of us if we're not careful, that we want a God that we can control, that we have the power or this force that we can get God to do what He wants, we want. <clears throat> so I summarize it this way. The issue is not the size of your faith. Jesus said this. All you need is a faith the size of a mustard seed. That's about would fit in between my fingers there. That's really small. And if I had that much faith, I could move mountains. Now, I don't think it's technically talking about physical mountains, but mountains of, you know, financial mountains, relationship mountains, uh, health mountains, whatever they might be. Just that much faith. I can, you know, remove this barrier in my life. But it's not dependent on the size of the faith, obviously, because you don't need much. But the size of the object of your faith. When I have a weak faith or I have little faith or I don't have any faith, it's because the object of my faith, in this case God, is small or little or non-existent or powerless. So, faith is not a force that I can tap into. Secondly, Faith is not a formula. We talked about this a little bit la last week. We kind of get this idea, and I think some of those preacher types kind of convey it. Um, if, you know, if I do this, if I pray every day and I read my Bible, and we may even put a time limit, if I read my Bible at least five minutes a day or ten minutes a day or 15 minutes a day, or maybe it's okay to miss a day or two, uh, but I'm consistently reading and praying. And if I get, show up at church every once in a while, even if it's online, um, and... Uh, give some money, uh, then I can get God to do what I want. I can get God to answer my prayers the way I want. And we experiment with the formula, if you will. I may pray longer and read less. I might pray less and read more. I may go to church more, go to church less. I may be involved in some ministry here at church or out in the community. I have this, this kind of, in the back of my mind, if I do this, this, and this, I, I can get God to do that. <clears throat> and there's this component of um, wishfulness. Let me use the word wishfulness or hoping. We'll get to that in our definition. Or hoping. I don't know if it's going to happen, but if I do these things, I'm hoping to get this result. <clears throat> Let me use this example. Most of us have sports teams, favorite sports teams, whether it's the Buffalo Bills, we got a Buffalo Bill fan here, whatever it might be. All right? Um, if that team is good, 
You know, if they win most of their games, when they approach the game, you have, you wishfully and hopefully and maybe have some confidence that you're pretty sure that game. I was at a soccer game yesterday at Grace Academy. Grace Academy was the second best team the past year, the girls' soccer team. And they were playing Shalom Academy, and they were the best team. They didn't lose a game all year. So in that game, if you were a Shalom uh, uh, alumnus or fan, you, had, you, you were pretty hopeful or wishful that your team was going to win, and they actually did win 3-2. to two. Um, Grace Academy, on the other hand, the wishful thinking was a little more wishful <laughs> because they hadn't beaten them in the past, and, of course, they didn't beat them yesterday. So it's, it's not a formula that we have this wish or hope that I can get God. I put it on your outline. It's not if you do this, then God will do that. If I pray, read my, now these are all good things. Read your Bible, praying, we should do those things. It's important and part of that, of our faith and your relationship with, with the Almighty. But it, if I do this, I, there isn't a formula in Scripture where there, then I can get God to do that. And the third thing, I'll just do this quickly, biblical faith is not complicated. I've kind of made it complicated, I think, in my explanation, um, but I think we have made it complicated. But it is not complicated. And we're going to go on a journey of discovery, I'm going to call it. We're going to look at a chapter in the Bible, parts of it, <clears throat> and I'm going to give you a definition, but we're going to try and come up with the definition together, some components of the definition the wording can be different like, like your definitions that you gave me. So this is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrew was written, by a, um, written to a Jewish audience. These were Jews that we became Jesus followers and falsely assumed that Jesus was coming back today. Now, there's a teaching that we are to believe that any day Jesus can come back. But in Jesus' teaching, he said, uh, tell the whole world about me, then I'll come back. And they kind of forgot that part. <laughs> and so they sold all their possessions, and they're sitting there waiting for Jesus to come back. And, of course, he didn't. It's been 2,000 years. So they were losing their faith, misplaced faith. And so the author's writing and say, okay, you need to really understand what true faith is. And so we're going to read it, parts of chapter 11. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, the author here asks the same question I been asking, what is faith? And he's asking, obviously, his audience in, in uh, the time he was writing. So this translation, and if you, I've read lots of translations, and everyone is on, I think everyone was different, or almost everyone was different. So this translation says it this way. It is the confident assurance that what we hope for, there's that word, is going to happen. My team's going to win. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see, which is an interesting uh, way of phrasing it. So how do you get from hope to faith? Or how do you get from hope to confident assurance? Uh, I'm confident, I'm really sure this is going to happen. So... Faith is a step up from hope. So let me try and use an illustration and help us try and understand this. So for example, I call you up 
and you don't answer the phone, so I get to your voicemail, and I say, hey, I want to have lunch with you this Thursday at noon at so-and-so restaurant. I leave this message with you, and I said, well, I'm hoping you're going to call me back, right? So at this point, am I, do I have faith we're going to have lunch together? No, I don't even know if you got the voicemail, if you listened to the voicemail, and if you want to have lunch with me. So at this point, I'm only hoping. It's wishful thinking. I do not have faith we're going to have lunch together. Now, <clears throat> it hasn't happened. But faith is about stuff that hasn't happened. Otherwise, you don't have to have faith about something to happen. I don't have to have faith about the soccer game yesterday because it's already happened. Another way to think about it is this way. Remember when you were a child, and I don't know about your birthdays, but my birthdays as a child, uh, we'd have a party, we'd cake and ice cream. I didn't eat the cake, I ate the ice cream. But anyway, we'd have cake and ice cream, and I would get presents, and usually some relatives would come, and some of my friends would come. So, you know, when I'm two or three, I'm not sh sure what my birthday's going to be like. But when I got seven, eight, or nine years old, I pretty much knew what, was, what to expect. I anticipated a party and a cake and ice cream and presents and family and friends. So I had faith that that was going to happen. It hadn't happened yet, but I was confident. I was assured, pretty sure that that was going to happen. So what is faith? Now, the author goes on, and kind of interesting thing he says next. He says this. <clears throat> it was by their faith the people of ancient times, he's going to give us a bunch of them out of what we would say the Old Testament, won God's approval. Uh, it's impossible to please God without faith, so with faith you please God or get God's approval. So something happened in each of these situations. We'll look at a couple, not all of them. We'll look at a couple. Something happened that caused the person to have faith that something was going to happen. Now, when we come up with this definition, the goal is going to be to superimpose it on these Old Testament stories or to superimpose it upon Scripture, to superimpose it upon any situation that you and I may be in if we are to live by faith. <clears throat> so he starts off with a fascinating <laughs> illustration. I don't think I would use this one first, but this is what he chose to use. In verse 3, it says this. <clears throat> By faith, we, in this case, Jesus followers, understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. So there wasn't a universe. God spoke it into existence. That what we now see, the universe, did not come from anything that can be seen, from nothing. Now, why is he saying Jesus' followers believe that? Why, if you believe that, do you believe that? Let me ask you a question. Did you wake up one day and say, hey, this world is pretty amazing, this universe is pretty amazing, scientists are finding how big it is and so forth? You know what? I think there must have been a God that made it. Is that how we have faith? Let me ask you it this way. Is, whose idea was it that God created the universe? 
Was it your idea? By the way, just as a side note, it takes more faith to believe that something, the universe, came from nothing if there's not a God, atheist for example, than to believe that something that exists was created by something or someone. So whose idea was it that the earth, universe was created by God? Not my idea. I read it in this book. It was God's idea. Important component as we look at these uh, several examples. <clears throat> so, skipping down a couple of verses, I'm look at one that's pretty familiar to most people. This guy by the name of Noah. And it was by faith that Noah built a large boat, saved his family from the flood. He obeyed God. That's a component who warned him about things that had never happened before, okay? Future, in this case, never happened. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, why did Noah have faith? Let me ask the question again the other way. Whose idea was it? Did Noah look around at his world in his day and said, man, everybody's evil except for my family. Um, you know, I think it would be a good idea. I think it would be a good idea to build this big boat and put all the animals in because, you know, that's not their fault. We want to save the animals. Put all the animals in this boat. And then I'm going to pray and force God to make it rain enough to have a flood to kill all these evil people. And so he goes about building this boat and he collects the animals and says, okay, God, now you have to make it rain and flood the earth and kill all these people. Is that how it happened? Was Noah's idea? Noah's creation? No. God came to Noah and said, hey, this is an evil world. I'm tired of putting up with these people. I want you to build this big boat. I'm even going to give you instructions. It's going to take you 100 years to build it. And then you put the animals in there, and then I'm going to wipe out all humanity but your family. <clears throat> in the first scenario, did God have to flood the earth after he built the boat? No. God only has to do things God wants to do. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So whose idea was it? It was God's idea. Let's look at another story. And we're skipping around. <clears throat> some of these major characters from the Old Testament. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed. There's that word again. Then God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. Okay, so again, Abraham wake up one day and say, hey, I think I want to be the father of a great nation of people uh, and, and of religion. And I think it's going to be, you know, three or four hundred miles south of here, and I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to have my prodigy uh, multiply as the sands on the seashore, and that's what's going to happen. Okay, was it Abraham's idea? No, it wasn't. God came to Abraham and said, hey, I want you to get up and leave. In fact, look at this last sentence. <laughs> he went without knowing where he was going. I, this always tickles me. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get in my car and start driving, and I'm going to keep going until God tells me to stop. That's basically what happens here. But he had faith. He obeyed the instructions from God. It wasn't his idea. It was God's idea. He didn't even know how it was going to turn out, where he was going. 
Um, and of course, if you know the story, that's exactly what he did. <clears throat> and then we skip down to another verse, a kind of summary verse. He said, all these people, we didn't read them all, died still believing what God had, what God had promised them, still believing. They did not receive what was promised. Now, traditionally, this is interpreted, Old Testament folks never saw the Messiah, Jesus. <clears throat> Noah saw what was promised to him. <laughs> Moses saw what was promised to him. But some people didn't see it. But he did see it from a distance. In this case, maybe the Messiah, maybe something else. Now notice, they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And we don't talk about this a, a lot, but if you're a Jesus follower, you understand that this is not our home. Uh, our home is waiting us in heaven, our eternal home. And I notice as our culture gets more, less and uh, more and more anti-Christian, less and less pro-Christian, doesn't it just kind of seem like we're out of place here on earth? I don't, I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel. <clears throat> and then he goes through some more folks and we get to the end of the chapter and he makes another summary statement and all of these and some of these folks when I read them and I read their Old Testament story I, I don't know why he included them it's kind of an unusual list though they gained divine approval through their faith they did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised What is the bridge between hoping something will happen and faith that will happen, or wishing something happen and truly believing it will happen? Well, I'm going to use the word, and we saw it in these verses, the bridge between hope and faith are the promises of God. So let me go back to my story about inviting you out for lunch. So... If I show up on Thursday without having talking to you, having talked to you, it wouldn't be faith, it would be presumption. It would be wishful thinking. I would just be hoping. But if you call me back and say, hey, that sounds great, I'd love to have lunch with you on Thursday at so-and-so restaurant, I'll be there. Then I show up by faith. Now, I understand in the human realm, emergencies happen. But... In the bigger realm, God's realm, that's the difference between hope and faith. So I come up with a definition. My wife and I were tweaking these words. Um, again, if you read that chapter 11, verse 1, in many translations, you get lots of combination of words. I got a list of about 10 different words um, in both parts of the verse. But here's a definition that I'm going to start with. And please, give me your input. If you're in my small, a small group, you can bat this around, whatever. But here, here it is. Faith is absolute confidence that God is who He says He is and that He will do everything He has promised. So, in Noah's case, God said, I want you to build this boat, this size, put the animals in it, it's going to rain and flood the earth and kill everybody. So, It's critical that you and I understand the character of God. So I can trust my wife because I know her character. 
If she tells me something, I know it's true because she doesn't lie to me. She did lie to me one time when they, were, they, they tricked me into uh, going to get my Z car. Um, she felt terrible about it. She told me afterwards. <laughs> but anyway, I can trust her because she doesn't lie. I know her character. So it's important that you and I know the character of God. Because otherwise, you can't trust him, right? So he has to be able to keep his promise. Now, I can promise you that it's not going to rain this afternoon. Can I fulfill that promise? No, I do not control the weather. Okay? So promises are only good as the, as the ability of the person to keep the promise. In this case, God. Abraham, same situation. So it's not based on the fact that I get God to always do what I want Him to do, that I always get a yes to my answer to my prayers. It's enough for me to know God's character. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, uh, loving, gracious, merciful, all these things. <clears throat> Since I know God's character, I can have faith in Him. And part of that faith is that He'll keep His promises. So, first and foremost, I know He loves me. He loves me so much He sent His only Son to die for me, so I don't need to doubt His love and His other qualities, etc. <clears throat> so, I put on your outline. Do you know what you can expect from God then? What can you expect from God? And my answer is this. Everything He has promised and nothing that He hasn't promised. Now, I can... Well, let me get to the second question. So what's in the second question? What can I ask of God? Okay, I might not have a promise from God about this, but what can I ask from God? Well, I can ask God for anything. I used this illustration in the first service. Uh, explains, kind of explains those of us that pray, our prayers. Our prayers are desire for God to do something. I pray for lost loved ones, family, friends, etc., I do not have a promise from God that everybody is going to go accept Jesus' gift of salvation, go to heaven when they die. I do not have that promise. I have the, God tells me He desires that. He provides that everybody can. So I do not have, ex, have the expectation that everybody is going to go to heaven. In fact, I have the opposite expectation. Scripture tells us not everybody's going to go. So a quick illustration. Uh, from the life of Jesus. And this is in Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> He's in this village, and Jesus met a man, advanced case of leprosy. And that meant his life was over. If it, for a while now, he's been separated from family and friends because of contagious disease, and he's just waiting to die. So when he saw Jesus, that's important, it was Jesus, not some other person, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged to be healed. What does begging imply? Begging implies that you have something that I need and I can't force you to give it to me, so I'm begging you to give it to me. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, I can't force you, but if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And so what happens? Jesus reached out and touched him. What is his response? The question was, if you're willing, what's his response? Next verse. I am willing. You didn't force me, but I am willing. 
be healed, and instantly the le- leprosy uh, disappeared. So again, when you and I pray for things that are not necessarily promised, like salvation of everyone, then I have to pray if you are willing. And of course, it involves the person's free will, too. And God, when you're not willing, it doesn't change my faith. It doesn't change my understanding of you, my, uh, of your character. But I'm a child of yours, and knowing your character, I know you know what's best. So the goal is this. <clears throat> the goal is not to get God to do what I want him to do. And I think that's some way we sometimes approach faith, certainly prayer. It is this, it is to get us, faith is to get us to live our lives in accordance with the character and the promises of God. So I've shared this before. It's great when some health miracle happens. Somebody has something and then God heals them. <clears throat> but that's not the things that really inspire me. The things that inspire me are the people where the, we, we pray and the person dies and they st- their faith is, not, uh, is unwavering. It's kind of easy to have faith when things go like you want or better than you want, maybe. It's a little bit different, a little harder. I think a little more true faith when things don't go like we want. So what's our definition again? And again, give me your feedback. Absolute confidence that God is sa- who He says He is. And when I listed those qualities of God, I... Got those out of this book because he said he has those things. And that he'll do everything he has promised. So I would say it this way. Faith begins with the character of God. Without the character of God, you, you cannot have faith. Begins with the character of God and it ends with the promises of God. <clears throat> Again, we have this innate desire to want to control God and God is, will not be controlled. And when we try and do that, we kind of make a big God into a little God. But let me ask you, when you hit rock bottom, if you ever hit rock bottom, do you want a little God or you want a big God? You want a God you control or a God that controls the universe? You want a big God, right? Well, the good news is we have a big God. And he says to us, call me your heavenly Father. And if you didn't have a good Father, I understand that might be difficult for you, but I believe you probably know what kind of Father you wished you had. And that's the kind of father uh, God is. And so, by faith, I pray for things, believing, God, that you can, but are you willing? I can ask you anything, but I can only expect what you have promised. So here's my think about next week. I actually added something to it in the first service. What has, if it's based on what God's promised, what has God promised to do for you? And a caveat to that would be, what has God not promised for you to do? The other question I'd like to add is, what is your understanding of the character of God? That's the two critical components of this definition, character of God and His promises. So it's really important for you and I to understand God's character and God's promises. Let me pray with you and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you that faith isn't complicated. (laughs) It is based on your character, which is awesome, and then on your promises. 
God, help us to understand that. Help us to apply that to our lives because our faith pleases you. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we'd like to pray that you would step across that line and accept this amazing gift that God has for you, that you have to trust or believe it by faith and then receive forgiveness for sin and enter into an eternal relationship with the Almighty God. So we pray that prayer for you. If you make that decision, please let us know. God, most of us are what we call walking by faith. So we pray that we are truly walking by faith. And as we ask with the understanding that we know you can, we're asking or begging you that you'd be willing. So we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.